0: Welcome to the Ag Future podcast, presented by Alltech. Join us as we explore the future of farming, food, and nutrition. We're talking with Michael Woolsey, Senior Strategic Manager for Alltech China. He oversees regulatory affairs and strategic initiatives in Alltech's largest overseas market. Mr. Woolsey also manages market development activities in Mongolia and Myanmar. We thank you for joining us. Good to be here. You describe China as the ultimate disruptor. Can you elaborate?
1: Um, yes. Uh, well, on Wednesday, I'm going to be talking about um, the China pig industry. Um, you know, China is the largest overseas market for all tech, and the pig industry is our, is our biggest customer. Our nutrition solutions for pig farmers account for more than half our sales in China. So we obviously follow this industry very closely. It's a massive industry. Um, their revenues were 160 billion dollars last year. The China pig industry, and uh, if you look at that, if um, if the China pig industry was a company, it would be number seven on the Fortune 500, larger than Ford, larger than GM, uh, larger than AT and T. You look at the the grain that goes into pig farming in China. Um, it, uh, the amount of uh, farmland is, is equivalent to the state of California. Um, so, if you take every acre in California and, and uh, to provide grain for uh, China's uh, uh, pig industry, um, it still wouldn't be enough. So, um, there's some really exciting developments going on right now in the China pig industry. Uh, mainly, there's a massive shift going on. And it started about 15 years ago from backyard and small scale farmers. Um, these are being replaced by modern, uh, large-scale operations, and this is creating opportunities for a range of businesses that sell to modern pig farms. Everything from equipment, to farm building manufacturers, uh, to genetics, uh, animal nutrition, You know where we are, uh, to veterinary drugs. Uh, small backyard operations don't purchase these things. And large modern operations do so. It's a it's a pretty exciting development right now.
0: So, uh, keeping with that context, Smithfield Foods was uh, acquired by a Chinese firm, WH Group, I believe it's called. Um, Smithfield accounts for twenty five percent of the the American pork industry. So, it's a pretty huge acquisition. What's the significance for China?
1: Yeah, this was a, a controversial deal, um, both in the US and in China. Uh, it was the largest uh, purchase in global animal agriculture uh, history, $7.1 billion. That was the value of, uh, of the deal. And um, four years later, I think uh, there's, there's evidence that um, there's been real benefits on both sides. I think for, for the US, US uh, pig farmers, um, Uh, They have access to Shuanghui's impressive distribution network in China. Shuanghui is the biggest uh, meat processor in China. Um, This is access we didn't have before. And uh, Shuanghui is using their leverage uh, with Chinese retailers to promote American-style pork in a way that's never happened before in China. Hams, bacon, sausages, in some exciting and creative ways. And as a result, uh, we're seeing record sales of, uh, of U.S. pork to China right now. Last year's sales were over a billion dollars, uh, up 50% from the year before. And nearly all this gain is from Smithfield.
0: There's been some speculation out there that the, the firm that purchased Smithfield is actually acting on behalf of the government, if not being the government itself. Uh, are you familiar with that speculation? What do you think of it?
1: Well, the... Uh, the CEO uh, Wan Long. Um, he's actually a member of the National Party Congress, and he's uh, as a as a CEO of a, of the largest meat processor and a member of the uh, the Party Congress. He's he's definitely following um, guidance from from the party. Um, it's interesting, you know. My my first position in China was uh, with the uh, the U.S. Embassy, the Agriculture Section, back in 2008. In my second year in Beijing, um, uh, Wan Long, the CEO of Shuanghui, he invited me to his uh, facility for the weekend and um, uh, to have dinner and um, uh, let me see his facility. And we talked about some of his challenges, and it was interesting. He said uh, he was concerned about the the pigs that he was buying on the open market. They don't own pig farms. Shuanghui didn't. And um, he was concerned about the inconsistent sizing, um, the uh, variance in the yields in in the carcass. He was also really concerned about safety issues, veterinary drug residues and steroids. And so he was looking for a safe stream of pork. And so he asked me, um, would the U.S. government be opposed to my buying a U.S. pig farm? And I reported the, the policy that, um, no, pig farming is not considered a matter of national security. And uh, that would be approved. I had no idea. He was thinking of buying Smithfield at the time. And four years later, he, he purchased Smithfield. Um, but, uh, no, there is um, direction from the party to um, – and all firms, large-scale firms in China are going in this direction. They're creating global brands um, you know, China has uh, a long history of manufacturing, but they, they understand that the, there's more returns in branding and in R&D, that that's where the real value is. And so the purchase uh, of Smithfield by Shuanghui um, is an attempt by you know, the largest pork processor in China to capture some added value of uh, a global brand. And there, there's more purchases on the way.
0: It's interesting. I always thought barbecue was a matter of national security. (laughs) Um, China is already the number one animal feed producer, according to the annual Altec Global Feed Survey, yet much more production is going to be required with that growing and demanding middle class. How will they accomplish that?
1: Well, that's an interesting question. Um, Going back to pig farming and... um, the really this this massive shift, you know, away from backyard farming to modern scale operations, it's a development that China has to has to do. Um, as you mentioned, their farmland is limited, um, and they've got productivity issues um, you know, all throughout Chinese agriculture. Uh, their yields and productivity are, you know, half or even less what you see in the West. The average number of piglets per sow per year is 15. In the West, you see you know, upwards of 30 and more. Um, their corn yields are half what you see in the U.S. And so um, there's a lot of effort, um, a lot of uh, policies directed to modernizing Chinese agriculture, um, you know, bringing in best practices, um, to make sure there's a, there's an, a, a reliable supply of, of safe food for the Chinese. They, they feel very strongly about um, self-sufficiency. Um, they feel uncomfortable relying on foreign countries for too much of their food. Um, there's a lot of soybeans coming in, uh, quite a bit of pork. Um, but again, they feel more comfortable if, um, if the vast majority of the food that's consumed in China is produced in China. And they're, they're making steps taking steps um, uh, to make sure that happens.
0: I think when we think about China, we think about manufacturing, um, but where in the general scheme of things, the top priorities uh, with the Chinese government does agriculture figure?
1: Agriculture is a critical industry um, for the party leadership. Again, um, self-sufficiency is, is critical. Um, they want to um, ensure a stable supply of, um, particularly staple products, um, rice, uh, wheat, uh, corn and pork is another staple. Um, you know, when, when pork prices, um, go up, um, people notice it's, it's the largest meat by far 63 pounds per person. Number two in China would be chicken at, uh, 12 pounds per person, um, per year. And so, um, you know, ensuring a, a stable supply of product is is really important.
0: And and what is the number one document?
1: So every year, the party leadership they issue um policy documents. Um and the first one they issue every year, the number one document um outlines their their work plan for agriculture. It's indicative of the importance of agriculture to the party. But um I found in my observations of uh, Chinese uh, agriculture policymaking, um, that's more a, a blueprint. The real work is in, in other um, regulatory initiatives, not the, not the number one document. It's a broad blueprint. Yeah.
0: Hmm. What importance do environmental and sustainability efforts have in China today? Is there a green revolution of sorts
1: afoot? Very interesting um, development the last couple of years. Um, uh, this is an initiative of the, uh, the administration under Xi Jinping. It started in 2013. Um, they've introduced new aggressive measures for um, water emissions uh, for uh, livestock farming. They've created um, large zones, particularly in South China, that ban pig farming near sensitive wetlands, the, the Chinese watershed, also pig farms near uh, residential areas. These are being closed down. And it's accelerating the trend that um, I referred to earlier, the smaller farms being closed down, being replaced by bigger farms, these new environmental, these tough measures. um, Those farms are closing down. The new ones that are opening up are inland. And um, they're mostly, again, large-scale modern operations, um, truly massive operations, some of these a million pigs and more. Um, So um, again, the environmental measures are tough. There's um, uh, tough standards for minerals, uh, copper and zinc, and um, a lot of operators are turning to Altec um, for our organic minerals to help them cope with these tough emission standards.
0: What you just described is the very definition of disruption, I would say.
1: That's right. And um, Altec is right in the middle of it, working with our, our customers to help them meet these requirements.
0: There's been a significant focus by the uh, Chinese government on mineral waste from animal feed. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, it's um, again, it's uh, it's a part of this uh, these new environmental initiatives um, where there there's some new standards um, for mineral content and emissions from livestock operations. And uh, if an operator, if an auditor comes out. And finds that the mineral levels are above the standard, they don't issue an environmental permit. They can't operate. And so, um, again, um, we're seeing a real spike in our organic mineral sales, um, uh, largely due to these uh, environmental initiatives. The Chinese are actually, they're taking additional steps. Um, There's a draft measure to Um, reduce the amount of minerals allowed in finished feed, Uh, copper and zinc. They're bringing their levels down to uh, what we see in the EU for copper, for instance, 25 ppm, um, which is uh, a significant reduction from where they are today at 150. It's pretty remarkable. Are
0: Chinese producers facing an increasingly regulated sector? And how are they dealing with
1: that if they are? Well, Chinese agriculture has always been heavily regulated. Um, but uh, you know in China, oftentimes, um, the key is what regulations are implemented. Um, so you have lots of regulations, and some are implemented and some are not. Um, the environmental rules are, are being implemented in a way they weren't before. It's a tough environment for, for Chinese operations.
0: And how about representing an American company within that regulatory environment? Does that have its challenges as well?
1: You know, it's interesting. Um, Foreign operations in China, um, we are held to a higher standard on average. Um, When regulations come out, they tend to enforce those on foreign operations before local operations. And it's become a, it's a bilateral um, issue between the U.S. and China. And this is um, in tandem with a new Made in China um, initiative where they're um, carving out um, in some sectors It hasn't uh, impacted agriculture yet, but uh, in other areas like semiconductors, telecoms, Um, uh, equipment, services. They're introducing policies to make it difficult for multinationals to operate and to make sure that the Chinese companies uh, win out. It's a worrying trend for foreign operations in China.
0: This uh, burgeoning middle class with its burgeoning demand coming along with that, um, is that creating opportunities for exports from other countries, including the United States?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, the, the middle class in China um, uh, continues to, to boom. And, you know, when people enter the middle class, you know, the first thing they do is they, they improve their diet. You know, more, more meat and other protein, uh, more calories. And so um, we are seeing in animal agriculture um, uh, a real spike in imports of beef where China is less competitive. You know, it, it takes... some. Um, Uh, On average, you know, eight kilos of grain to raise one kilo of beef. Grain prices are higher in China than in other countries, and so um, beef from Australia, from the U.S., um, you know, the U.S. uh, has been blocked uh, from entering China through official channels because of uh, BSE. And um, some there's some movements um, very recently will be will have official access um, this summer. Um, so a lot of beef is coming in from Australia and from the U.S. after they open the market. Um, dairy is another big um, uh, item. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of dairy products coming in from uh, New Zealand, Australia, the EU. Um, infant formula is uh, a $4 billion market for overseas uh, operations. And so, yes, the growing middle class is creating opportunities for, for companies around the world. Of
0: course, the, the the Chinese leadership has to think about domestic issues first. But does China have a future, larger role in in the
1: global food market? You know, China is an export powerhouse in you know a number of sectors, but agriculture is not one of them. It's it's not really a focus right now because um, they're mostly concerned about ensuring. Again, a sufficient supply of food for Chinese people. Um, they've actually had export restraints on their ag products in the past. Um, it's not really a focus to export. It, it, well, there are some exceptions, um, but um, yeah, it's uh, they want to make sure they got enough for Chinese consumers.
0: China first.
1: China first. <laughs> uh,
0: you also focus on uh, the emerging markets of East Asia, Mongolia, Myanmar. What can we expect to see happening in those countries?
1: Well, yeah, these are um, the two newest markets uh, for Altec. Um, and they're very different. Mongolia, um, it's, a, it's a small market. There's only 3 million consumers, um, a middle class of only you know, less than a million. Um, but it's, there's a small, emerging, uh, modern um, layer and pig sector that's creating some opportunities for us. Um, long term, uh, I think what's uh, really exciting potentially for Mongolia is uh, exporting beef um, to um, East Asia, the 1.5 billion consumers in East Asia. Um, right now, they're prohibited from exporting because of animal disease uh, concerns. They have uh, foot and mouth disease. But Mongolia sees the opportunities, and they've created a plan that was accepted by the World OIE uh, the uh, organization for um, animal health. Uh, the plan was accepted. They just need to implement it. It takes resources, but maybe in two or three years, they'll have their beef approved. It could be a billion-dollar item for them in the first year. They have um, some natural advantages, a lot of uh, grassland uh, for raising beef animals. Um, so um, I think long-term, that's, that's probably the most exciting uh, potential opportunity. Uh, Myanmar, a uh, very different market, uh, much larger, 50 million consumers. Um, of course, the political reforms in the last year have been a real catalyst for us. Um, uh, U.S. trade sanctions were lifted last year uh, uh, due to the election of uh, Ms. Suu Kyi. Um, and um, you, you, it's, it's, it's an exciting time to be in Myanmar right now. Um, you know, they had 40 years of military rule um uh Suu Kyi won with uh, 98% uh, support uh, imagine what the us could do with uh, 98% support for the president um it's an exciting time in Myanmar. real opportunities uh, short term i think in layers and broilers and longer term opportunities in pigs
0: what in your view michael does it take to make wise successful investments in these east asia markets
1: i think um First, you have to listen. Um, I, you know, Altech has always been a company that uh, likes to go in first um, when we see opportunities. Um, and I tell you, the, uh, the reception that we're getting in both places, um, operations are, are eager to talk with us. You know, they've got um, challenges. Um, they want to hear about best practices um, from overseas. And so, you know, listening to their, um, um, their challenges and, uh, you know, building relationships for the long term, I think that's what's key. You know, not expecting the quick return, you know, being there for the long term, you know, people appreciate that.
0: How does China's disruption and these emerging Asian markets, how does all that affect the average consumer's dinner table?
1: There's an exciting development related to um, the Shuanghui purchase of Smithfield, um, you know, Shuanghui. Uh, um, their, their objective, their goal is to increase the, um, the amount of chilled meats that they're selling. Right now, um, 30, only 30% of Shuanghui's uh, uh, meat sales are chilled. The uh, 70%, it's the traditional uh, marketing channels of warm carcass that's, uh, that's cut up and sold in wet markets. The margins are obviously a lot lower And so one of their strategies for increasing their chilled meat segment, they've partnered with an e-commerce company called JD.com that uh, this company is doing some exciting things. Um, They're creating a a cold chain system, a warehouse and distribution cold chain system from the warehouse to the customer um, selling fresh chilled foods, including packaged meats. Smithfield, uh, Shuanghui, they have a strategic cooperation agreement to sell um, packaged Smithfield meats uh, through JD.com. And um, so if a a customer in the morning decides they want to have hot dogs from Smithfield um, for dinner that night, they bring out their cell phone, dial up JD.com. Uh, order the hot dogs. And uh, the truck shows up later that afternoon, um, chilled um, uh, distribution the entire way to the consumer's door. And um, so it's a a superior product. It's what consumers want. uh, It's an exciting development.
0: It's pretty amazing. I guess it's not beyond imagination that someday a drone will show up. (laughs) (laughs) What about your work do you enjoy the most?
1: Well, in China there's every day there's a new challenge. Um, you know, it's interesting when I, uh, um, my last tour in the foreign service was, was Beijing. And, uh, when that tour was over in 2011, um, I had a choice to return to Washington or retire from the foreign service and do something else and stay in China. And that was, that was an easy decision. And so I, I stayed in China. It's, it's, there's just so much going on in agriculture in China. Um, it's a challenging market, but again, a lot of opportunities. And, um, and Alltech, uh you know, um, we're a part of this, uh, this revolution in animal agriculture in China. And so it's very exciting.
0: Michael Wolsey, Senior Strategic Manager for Alltech China, we thank you for joining us. Thanks. Thank you for listening. To hear other conversations with many of the featured speakers at one the Alltech Ideas Conference, visit ideas.alltech.com. Access is free after signing up. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Ag Future Podcast, presented by Alltech. For show notes and more episodes, visit Alltech.com forward slash Ag